0: Oh, well, I'm going to be honest and open and transparent with y'all. This message has been prepared as of about two hours ago. Um, I said earlier about how this week I, I learned some stuff and about how uh, how valuable it is to slow down. and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But um, I'm going to be in the book of First Kings in chapters 18 and 19 if y'all want to go ahead and turn there. And the title of this message is... The same question that God asked Elijah. What are you doing here? Uh, this, this passage is one that I may be wrong in assuming this, but that I sometimes assume that everyone has heard countless times. Uh, it's one that God speaks through me on almost a monthly basis. <laughs> he, he loves to throw this one in my face and ask me, you know, hey, what are you doing here? And it hurts just as bad every time as it did the last time. And, you know, I'm I'm hoping one day that it will quit hurting as bad, but if it ever does quit hurting as bad, I'm going to be equally as scared. So, um, you know, it's like I said, it it had been a rough week, and I know that God was testing me, and now looking back, I know that unfortunately I failed miserably. Um, You know, what we see in this, this passage is a definite rise and fall in Elijah's faith. And... I, I really saw when God asked me this question, "What are you doing here?" I saw the rise and fall, more so the fall, of my faith in this past week, and and you know I really felt the conviction of, you know, oh, what, what's going on? Why, why are you, why are you stressed like you are? And from there, I, I, I said, "Okay, all right." So it was obvious what I needed to get up here and preach about. But um, I just wish I had a little, little more than a couple hours to get it ready. So. Y'all don't judge me if it's terrible. I mean, like I said the first time I was here, if y'all want to chase me out, just give me a little bit of a head start. I got two kids to (laughs) grab. But um, before I get going, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and I I thank you for challenging times. I know it's crazy to say, it's crazy to think, Lord, and sometimes I don't even believe it when I say it, but I do. I mean it, Lord. Thank you for these hard times. Thank you for showing me that you're there. Thank you for showing out when I'm on the lowest point that you you show up and you put me back on that mountain, Father. I love you. I thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray that you just you speak tonight, Father, not me. I love you, and I thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> I'm gonna start out in First Kings chapter 18, and I'm just gonna read a couple short verses, verses 17 through 19. 19. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So before I get too into it, I'm going to take a little bit of a step back and get some stuff established here to take a look at the backstory. So Ahab is the king of Israel at the time. Ahab, um, his wife, we all know his wife, is Jezebel. She is a wonderful woman, truly a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> I mean that in all joking, with all joking. You know, he, she she unfortunately was, was a terrible woman. She is mentioned a ton in the Bible, but not one thing I think that I've ever found is good has been said about her. Um, So his wife is Jezebel. She's evil. She worships gods other than the true God, like Baal and Asherah. And um, I I guess I've read this story, I don't know how many times I missed it until today. She's also half blind because Obadiah was over her household. But hey, you know, you're against the prophets of God, but you've got one of the prophets of God running your house. It's funny how God works that way. But um, at this point, Jezebel has been out to kill all of the prophets of God. She's trying to set up idolatry in Samaria and completely exterminate the worship of God, the worship of Yahweh. Meanwhile, Elijah has openly stated that this abandonment of God is the reason for the troubles of the nation. And I got to thinking when I, when I typed that down, I was like, the abandonment of God. You know, we're, we're trying... We're, we're putting, she is trying to put idols in the place of God. She's trying to exterminate God. And then I'm, I'm thinking about today, and that's happening in 2023, just as much as it was happening in B.C., whatever year this was, this happening, you know. <clears throat> but if I immediately thought of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 3, and 5, 3 through 5, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Like I said, these are the, <clears throat> these are the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. Elijah knows this way too well. Not way too well. All too well. He knows exactly what God's instructions are, what God's commandments are. And he can see that the leader of the nation and his wife, which the leader of the nation was more of a puppet than anything at this time, but they're trying to run the nation instead of to God, completely away from God, trying to cut God completely out. So Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel because he sees Elijah as the cause of the nation's trouble. But Needless to say, we've got right here, Elijah steps up to Ahab and calls him out face to face. You know, he didn't beat around the bush. He was walking, and he finds Obadiah, and he tells Obadiah, hey, go tell Ahab you found me. And Obadiah's like, look, I, he's going to kill me. He's like, no, 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 he won't kill you. Just, just go get him. i got to talk to him. And I, I hear that, and I read that, and I'm thinking about Elijah's faith. Elijah's faith in God to be able to stand in front of the, the king and say, you know, y- you say that I'm the problem, you're actually the problem. You know, he had a tremendous amount of faith to stand in front of someone that could kill him with a word, not himself, but, you know, could make, make it happen in the snap of a finger. How? Why, why was Elijah so willing to go and stand in front of the king and and tell him that. And I mean, you know, at this time, there's been a drought going on for three years, and he's like, hey, you know, you're the reason this drought has come on. And I've got a theory for why he was able to do that, and that was because for the last three years, Elijah has depended solely 100% on God, just to be able to live. In 1 Kings 17, God tells him that there's about to be a drought, and the thing about that drought, or this drought, is there's not a definite end. This was not a determined amount of time that it was going to be a drought. This was just, he says, hey, there's going to be a drought until I say there's not going to be a drought, so get ready. And he tells him, you know, go down here to the, uh, the brook Cherith, where he was fed by ravens until the brook dried up. So ravens brought him food so that he could live, and I mean, I know you can kind of train birds, but I don't think, at least it doesn't say it in 1 Kings that Elijah had time to train some birds to go and find him some food, so God was sending food to Elijah to keep him alive. Uh, Then, right after that, once the brook had dried up, God told him to go to a place called Zarephath, where he meets a widow and her son, and there he lives for a long time on bread made from the flour and oil from jars that God kept full. You know, I, I think we've all heard that story. She's got a jar with a little bit of flour, a jar with a little bit of oil. She was gonna go make one last cake for her and her son to go take, to eat, and then die. And he says, go ahead and do that, but give me just a little sliver. And because of her faith, God kept those jars full. And that's what the three of them lived on for three years. I mean, I can't say three total years, but for the totality, Elijah was faithful and had to rely solely on God for three years. So, when we have to rely on God, it's not that hard to remain faithful, right? When, I do this often, when I think of the Israelites in the Exodus, you know, they had nothing that they could do. They had to rely on God for the manna. They relied on God for the water. And, you know, just like true human fashion, they always found a way to complain about it somehow. But, um... And I do my, the, the same thing with the disciples. Like, how did you miss Jesus when Jesus was standing in front of you? But we do the same thing. But when we have to rely on God, it's it's not hard to remain faithful, you know? Um, I'm going to move on to 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll be in verses 20 through 40. And I'm not going to read this whole passage. I'm going <clears> to <throat> summarize a little bit and read a little bit. And verses 20 through 25. um, You know, Isaiah has told Ahab, go, gather up these prophets, gather up all the people of Israel. Um, We're fixing to have a showdown. We're going to see who's God is God. And Ahab does. He goes and gathers all the prophets. He gathers everybody. And they get there, and they're preparing to sacrifice these bulls to see if Baal is going to show up or if God is going to show up. And from there, I'll pick up in verse 26. Read through 29. And it says... And they took, this is the prophets of Baal, they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them and as midday passed they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation but there was no voice no one answered no one paid attention i know the youth have heard me say this a thousand times i think they think that i'm just pick a verse out of the bible and it's my favorite this is one of my favorites you know elijah is so faithful he's so full of faith in god that you've got Elijah is a one man, one man of God standing on this mountain. And we've got 450 prophets of Baal. We may have the 400 prophets of Asherah standing on here. You know, we've got King Ahab standing here as well. But not only that, we've got the whole nation of Israel watching what's going on. And, you know, they're they're limping around doing their little ritualistic dance. And Elijah stands there and is like, hey, whoa." Well, Oh, where's Baal? Where's your God? And there's one in there that really gets me, and he says, you know, where's he relieving himself? Is he going to the bathroom? You know, like, hey, I'm so confident. I'm standing on this mountain. I'm the one man of God up here, but I'm going call all y'all out right now. Is, is he going to the bathroom? Is he asleep? Is he just going on a journey? You know, this is some holy smack talk on a whole new level. And I love it. I just love that he's so, so empowered by his faith, that he's, he's faithful enough, he knows that God's fixing to provide. He knows exactly what God's fixing to do. And, you know, I mean, Obadiah could have been there, but still, that's only two men, and Obadiah was trying to keep a low profile so he didn't get killed. I mean, so, <laughs> either way, this battle was a battle that Elijah had to fight on his own, and he can never win it on his own, right? So they've got their altar or whatever they got to do. They've got it built, and their God doesn't show up. But we got Elijah who's, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do. But Elijah can't do it. Elijah can't make the bull catch on fire. He can't can't do any of this. So what does he do? Then we'll summarize verses 30 through 35. Elijah repairs an already existing altar that had been thrown down, I would assume, by Jezebel, the wonderful woman, from Proverbs 31. And um, he prepares the bull. And then, to go along with his holy smack talk, he says, listen, we're in a drought. We've been in a drought for three years. I need y'all to get a bunch of water. We're going to soak this. (laughs) And I'd, I'd like to just... I've said it several times, I hope there's TV screens or a time machine in heaven where I can go back and see like what has happened, because I want to see the look on their faces when he grabs this jar of water and then dumps it on the altar, and then he does that three more times, and I, I just really, I would love to see the look on everybody's faces, we have no water, you know, all all the, all the water's dried up, we've got what we've got left, and now he's dumping this on an altar. That's not going to catch on fire, and it's not going to burn. We just poured it in the water. I mean, poured it in the ground. It's just wasted. But, <laughs> you know, he had that much faith in God that he wasted a good amount of water. We don't know exactly how much water. Um, the, the jars in that time, they ranged from, you know, the size of a quart to, I think it was 20 gallons is what I had done some research and found. We don't know. It could have been a ton of water. It could have been a little bit of water. Either way, it was extremely valuable. I mean, no water at the time because of the drought. He, he 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 gambled. Gambled? Yeah. He gambled a lot in their eyes. Not in his eyes, but in their eyes. So let's look at verses thirty six through forty. <clears throat> what happens next? And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burning offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah should be on top of the world. I mean, again, he's the only man of God. He's just watched all these prophets limp around, dance around for a while, and now they've resulted in cutting themselves, trying to get Baal to, to accept their sacrifice to, you know, show up. And he has talk trash. You know, your God's in the bathroom. He's went away. Well, now it's my turn. I'm just going to dump a bunch of water on here. You know, he has set himself up to fail miserably. And the exact opposite happens. God shows up. God burns everything. I love how it says that it consumed in the burnt offering, all the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. So not only did he just burn the cow, he just cleared the ground. You know, we'll just take everything that you had put up, and since it was for me anyway, I'll just take it back. <laughs> I love how God really just shows up. And like I said, now we've got Elijah who has been told, listen, you got something else you got to do. And he's so faithful to God, his faith is so strong to God, that he, the way I interpret it, with some help, slaughtered 450 prophets. Sounds harsh. This is Old Testament God. That's my only excuse that I can find. But Elijah, through the power of God, was able to kill 450 people that God said needed to be taken care of. You know, his faith is still higher than Mount Carmel. You know, he is is truly been through so much, he's trusted God in every step of the way, and I'm thinking at this point, there's no downhill slope for Elijah. I mean, he's, he's got the plane out at some point, but he's definitely not looking like it's coming. Unfortunately, you get to chapter 19, and he falls hard. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18, again, I won't read the whole thing, but in verses 1 through 8, Ahab comes back home. And he tells Jezebel all that Elijah did. And she gets mad. Rightfully so, for her, you know, all the prophets of the the gods that she believes and follows have been killed. Um, she's upset, and she says, well, by the end of the day, I'm going to do exactly what Elijah did to them. I'm going to do to him exactly what he did to the prophets. And, you know... The message gets to Elijah, and Elijah, in verse, uh, let's see what verse it is. Come on now, verse three in the uh, ESV says that he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. I, I mean, I just want to pause there for a minute. You just killed four hundred and fifty people when just a, I-, I mean, it was a day or two ago. Did you forget? And then again, I think back to the Israelites. Look at all the stuff that God did for you, that you couldn't have done. You couldn't have made it without Him. But you just you want to go back. What 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 is what is running through His head? So He's like, okay, I, I I've got to go. I'm no I'm no better than my fathers. She's trying to kill me. I got to leave. So He runs, and He's running away. He comes to a place and he finds a tree and he says, I'm just going to lay under this tree and I'm going to die. I'm going to give up. Well, while he's under the tree, he falls asleep, and an angel of the Lord, possibly pre-incarnate Jesus, comes and visits him and brings him a whole feast and says, here. You know, he doesn't say anything this time. Well, he wakes up, he eats the food, he drinks the drink, goes back to sleep. He's still ready to give up. So a second time, the angel of the Lord visits, does the same thing, and he tells Elijah, he says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And you know... Elijah, this man of faith, who has, oh my Lord, so much has gone on in three years. Three years is a long time, but it's not that long also. For you to be there at the beginning of this drought, to see the whole drought and all the stuff that happened in this drought. You were fed by ravens. You ate food from from jars that never were emptied. You... um, you, you saw God's protection, you saw God show up in one of the most awesome ways in the Bible, I mean, why why, why did you get to this point of this is it? I, I don't have any other option. I've just, I've got to give up and I've got to die. So, he, he says, I'm just going to get here and die. I'm done. Um, One thing that I... I hadn't thought of before until I was reading it this time, was, it's like I said, God enabled him to kill 450 prophets a day or two ago, and now he's afraid that Jezebel is going to do what she's been trying to do the whole time. That That's one thing that I keyed in. That nothing has changed. She didn't change her mind. She didn't say for a day and a half, like, oh, I think I'll let Elijah go. I, I think, you know, I'll give him a, a little bit of a break. He's a fanatic for his God, not a fanatic for mine. We'll just give him a little bit of a break. She never took a break. She wanted him to die the entire time, but now because she sent somebody there to tell him, I, I see. I I'm, I can't. <laughs> I can't see what changed for Elijah, because as far as I can tell, nothing's changed in Jezebel. She's been doing what she's been doing this whole time. So we we've got Elijah. He's running. God's trying to trying to speak to him, like, hey, I'm still here. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 19 says, this is after, okay, sorry, I left this part out. Elijah rose, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and that's exactly what God told him to do. So now we pick up, there he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. What are you doing here? That's what I heard over and over again this weekend while I was stressed and worried over a vehicle. You know, I told you I had failed miserably this week. Wednesday night when I left here, my truck quit. Um, I was okay with it. I thought that I could fix it. told Danny she'd come back and got me. Took off work Thursday. I went back out there to fix it, and I couldn't fix it. So I went back home. Uh, And I remember when I got home, because the whole way home, in my mind, I I said, you know, you can't fix it this time. And I was talking to myself, and I had already acknowledged the fact that this time, I've got to let somebody else take care of it. And that somebody else being multiple somebody else's. I needed to have faith that God was going to take care of us, and that whoever we took that truck to was going to fix it. So I remember I got home, and I put the van in park under the carport, and I walked out to the middle of the yard, and I, I, I hit my knees, and I prayed, and I prayed to God. I said, listen, you know, I'm not trying to make a way dress. And please strengthen me. Show me that I can't do it this time. Because that's my problem. When stuff's going great, all praise and glory goes to God. But when stuff gets hard, Holt wants to fix it, and I can't but I wanna do it every time. So I'm on my knees in the yard and I'm praying and I'm like, you know, I know you're gonna take care of me. Help me to remember that. Help me to not stress over this, not to worry about it, all this. I walked inside, uh, was gonna go on with my day, my daddy was gonna come help me. Well, he did, daddy came and helped me in the process of daddy helping me. Jason Hawkins stopped, he helped me. when me and Daddy were there working on it, and the first thing that we tried didn't work, everything went out the door. I forgot everything that I had done on the ride home. I forgot my whole prayer in the yard. I forgot it all. Because in my mind, I had to fix it. And here I am on the side of Brooklyn Road, and it's not starting. So I've, I've got to fix it. Well. We get it running, and we take it to Jason's house, Jason and Carrie's house, and we get it where it will run. And I'm like, all right, I've done it. We're good now. You did it Hold, you're good. And on the way home, in first, second, third gear, I feel like I'm riding a wild fucking Bronco. It will not run smooth for nothing. So immediately, I've lost God again, and I'm like... What am I going to do? I've got to have a vehicle. I'm the only one that has a job, and if I don't go to that job, my family suffers. If if I keep wasting my time over vehicles, what, what am I going to do? So all all day, all night, Thursday night, worried, sick, you know, how am I going to get to work? I, I, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And there's a key to this. I don't know if y'all figured it out yet. This, the, the, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Well, went to work Friday, but used Daddy's truck, come home. Daddy fixed it, of course, he's great at it. So he fixed it, it was running smooth. But <clears throat> you know, made the decision to get something bigger, something for our family. <laughs> I get up Saturday morning, yesterday morning, go to Enterprise. They've got a truck that I wanted to look at. I'm looking at this truck, and everything's going good. And then it comes down to talking about numbers. We get in there and start talking about numbers, and God disappeared again. <laughs> and and I, I, now I see it, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, God, you are so, I ain't no kids, she don't know yet, you are so stupid. You know, like, wh- why? Why are you worried about this? And I completely forgot about Matthew 6. I I've completely forgot about Philippians 4. I forgot about all of it. I mean, to be honest, you could I always take that backpack with me, and I've got this Bible everywhere I go. I had it with me there. But I, I it never crossed my mind to even give it a thought, a thought that he still had me. I completely, I pulled in Elijah. I was done. I had done, tried everything that I could do. I sit, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm done. And <laughs> thankfully, God laughed at me. So bring it back into the, the, the story here. Every time we take God out of the equation and attempt to do anything our own, it don't matter how small or big it is, that question is ringing. What are you doing here? Why? Why are you trying to do this? Look at uh, verse 10. Look at Elijah's response. Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He thinks he's alone. I thought I was alone. I thought I had to fix it. I thought my family was relying on me only. I've completely forgot about my my blood family, my, my church family, forgot about everybody that has ever loved me enough to help me with anything. I thought I needed to do it on my own. And I I truly think that that's where Elijah was. He thought that he had to do it on his own. He thinks that he is all alone and that it's not worth it to continue with his mission. You see, a little bit of a fast forward here. Elijah stopped before his mission was complete. That's why we know of Elisha. Um, So what does God do? He's asking, what are you doing here, Elijah? He gives him his answer. So, so now, what, what does God do? Verses 11 through 13. And he said, this is God speaking, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? When it's crazy <laughs> when when life is nothing but whirlwinds and earthquakes and firestorms so chaotic, trucks breaking down, family members are sick, fill in the blank. We've all experienced it. We forget about that whisper. You know, there's times that I look at, I look at Peter, Peter in in the, you know, come out of the boat, he's walking on water, but he gets distracted, he looks away from Jesus and starts to sink. And it's one of those times that I put myself in that situation and I'm like, no, I'd have been rock solid. I couldn't have took my eye off of that. But in reality, yeah, I can. I get so caught up in stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that I can't control, and I forget whose I am. I forget who has me. He may not be easy to see, easy to hear, in the chaos that's going on around us. But the thing is, is, He's there. He's always been there. He always will be. And all we've got to do is listen. It's like I I mentioned earlier with preparing our hearts for this Christmas season, to slow down, to slow down and to look and listen because he's there. So I'm going to close with the same question that God asked Elijah. What are you doing here? What are are we doing? What are y'all doing? Where do you stand in these, these things of Elijah's life? Are you on top of a mountain? Or are you in a cave listening for a whisper and you can't find it? You know, I thought that I was on top of a mountain. But come to find out that you stop and look back on the last few days, and I've been in a cave with my ears plugged. I didn't want to hear the whisper. But it was there the whole time. <laughs> So, again, what are you doing here? Everyone, bow your heads. Father, we come to you today, Lord. I, I thank you so much for being that that low, quiet whisper. I thank you so much for being there when I can't find you. I know you're there. I can feel you're there, Lord. Oftentimes, I can see and hear you. But I choose to ignore you and thank you for never turning away when I've turned away so many times. Lord, I pray that you just you be with everyone here, everyone that can hear this, Lord. I pray that you work in all of us, Father. Show us where we come short. Show us where we can come closer to you, have a stronger relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you just you break us down, so that in the building back, you build us back, and we're stronger than ever. As Miss Lisa starts to play, I pray that you just, Lord, you you convict us all. I've been convicted uh, severely this past week, Lord. I pray that you, you just you speak, Lord, that you take over, and that you show us where we come short, and show us how much we truly need you. Lord we love you, we thank you we praise you, we ask all this in Jesus name Amen if y'all stand and bow your heads and close your eyes we have a time of invitation you you want to come up here and ask God where you are in your faith ask him how he can help you ask him what you need to do to better look I'm here. Be in a spirit. Thank y'all for letting me preach to you. Uh, I do love it. Sometimes it scares me to death, but I enjoy it.